Welcome to Timely Wisdom with Drs. Silas Bradford, Sarita Wright, Brenda Wallace, Carolyn Carlisle, and I am Denise C. So excited about our guest today. It is none other than the Reverend Dr. Danielle Brown. Reverend Dr. Danielle Brown is saved and filled with the Holy Ghost at an early age. She finds great joy and satisfaction in learning, living, and preaching the gospel. When I tell you this woman of God can preach, she can preach. She was licensed to preach on July 17, 2003 by Cathedral International, the historic Second Baptist Church in Perth M. Boy, New Jersey, and ordained by the American Baptist Churches in, on June 3, 2012 an increasingly sought-after preacher and workshop leader with the ability to communicate across multiple generations, Dr. Brown has had the opportunity to share the gospel throughout this country and in South Africa. Educated in the Perth Amboy Public Schools, Reverend Brown went on to attend Virginia State University, where she was a provost scholar and three-sport athlete, can play some basketball for show. After teaching in the Richmond Public Schools, Reverend Brown responded to God's call to return to her hometown and the church of her rearing where she served faithfully for 15 years. On August 7, hear, hear me with your good ear. On August 7, 2021, Dr. Brown was elected the 10th senior pastor of Shiloh Baptist Church in Plainfield, New Jersey. Can I say that again? Mm -hmm. The first woman to hold this position in the church's 113th year history, mm -hmm. a Baptist church. A natural leader, Reverend Dr. Brown has served in various capacities where she has worked to develop and implement ministry programs and strategies. She also has passion for mentoring and assisting in the development of faith and community leaders. And such, she has served as a site supervisor in the Princeton Theological Seminary, New Brunsville Theological Seminary, and Pillar hmm, College Field Education Programs. I just want y'all to hear how great and dynamic this. I, I, that's right, Dr. Hale. Say it again. Huh? Amen. She has also sought, sought, taught on the adjunct faculty of New York Theological Seminary and has served two terms on the board of trustees of New Brunswick, New Brunswick Theological Seminary. Dr. Brown also serves on the ad, um, ad, um, advisory board of the Women in Ministry Conference Incorporated convened by the Reverend Dr. Cynthia L. Hale in Atlanta, Georgia, which is actually coming up um, at the end of this month. Most recently, she became a co-mentor to the Pointer Brown Goodman Doctoral Fellows at United Theological Seminary in Dayton, Ohio. Dr. Brown has also been active in the Raritan Association of the American Baptist Churches of New Jersey, where she served on the ordination committee and as a past moderator. In addition to her ecclesiastical work, Dr. Brown is active in her local community. She serves as a member of the Perth Amboy area NAACP, has served on the May on mayor's strategic planning team and a hundred days committee in the city of Perth Amboy and is a member of the Perth Amboy Board of Education. I could read on and on and on. I want you to look in or type in the comments section, welcome Reverend Dr. Danielle Brown to the Timely Wisdom Table. Come on in the room, come on in the room, come on in the room. Hello everybody. Hello there, Dr. Brown. I'm going to say it because I, I just love saying it. Hi there, Pastor Brown. How you doing? <laughs> I'm good. How's everybody doing tonight? We are well, this evening. Welcome. 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 Absolutely Thank wonderful. You. So excited uh, to have you with us on today. This is such an historic moment to have yes, you with is. us today. Yes. We're so excited. excited to be with you. We're excited that you're here, that you said yes, that you had time to say yes. And the, and the first question that we all, we're going to get right into. Is that all right? 
fine with me. <laughs> Look, wait, wait. Bishop Bishop Vaughn said we need silent sound effects. Bishop. We, we need sound effects. <laughs> we get right into it. We want to say, how are you doing in these COVID streets? And I guess we could add on um the flood streets and all the other streets. Right, how are you right. doing? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think overall I'm doing well. Um, I'm, I'm here, uh, COVID free, uh, vaccinated, all of that. Uh, now if we can get everyone uh, vaccinated and get everyone to buy into uh, doing what we have to do, that'll be great. But uh, I, I'm doing pretty good. You're doing pretty good. I think you're doing absolutely wonderful. <laughs> I want I want you to share just a little bit about who you are and how you came to be. Um, we have some questions, but we want you to talk and share with us a little bit. Um, yeah, just go ahead and share something about yourself. Well, first, I'm glad to be here. Uh, thank you all. I told you backstage, but but I want to say it again uh, on stage and shout out to everyone. Uh, I see a comment because scrolling on the, the right-hand side of my screen are comments, yeah. and I want to give a shout out to Marla Ham Chicote, who is a member of Shiloh Baptist Church. And she said, that's my pastor. And so Marla, uh, I, I am, uh, and uh, Dr. Bradford read my bio. Um, so I was called to ministry at 13 years old. Um, at, at 13, you want me to go that far back? In, go in go for it. We're so so when I was 13 years old, the Lord called me to ministry. I was at a women's retreat. Uh, in the Pocono Mountains with my my church, Cathedral International, uh, there was the, the Lord moved in one of the sessions and I was on the altar crying out, you know, before the Lord. And I heard the Lord say, Danielle, you will preach the gospel. Of course, I was 13 years old. And so it, I felt like, OK, OK, God, you know, that that's cool. You'll preach the gospel. That's great. Uh, but I felt that preaching women were grown women. Because the only preaching women I had ever seen were grown women. They were not 13-year-old girls. I had never seen a little girl preacher. And so I figured that, that I had time, uh, that, that I had time. My, our executive pastor at that time, the Reverend Dr. Bernadette Glover, um, she was a woman, but she's in her 30s. And so she was grown. Um, women who had come through my church uh, who were preaching women, Dr. Cynthia Hale, she was a grown woman. Uh, Dr. Claudette Copeland, grown woman. They were grown women who I had seen. And so I'm thinking, well, I, I have time. Right. So so I'll, you know, kind of work this out. I'll, I'll keep being a kid and, and, and I'll respond to the call of God once I am a grown woman. Uh, consequently, the the desire to respond to God's call never went away. There were periods of time where I was saying, well, um, you know, maybe I was just caught up in the moment, caught up in the excitement and what was happening in the moment. And God didn't really call me. But the, the, the call just seemed to intensify. And even, you know, as you get a little older, you're like, OK. And I was saved, saved, y'all. And, and God saved me at 12. And, and I was like, save, save. And, and I love the church, still do. I love the church even before I had given and I'm Baptist. And so, you know, believers baptism and I, I had to confess and come to the point where I myself could uh, understand and, and uh, you know, confess and believe and all of that. But but I have been in church all my life and I would go to prayer meetings with my grandmother and all of that. Um, my grandmother was one of the primary people uh, who helped my faith formation and ministry. Uh, I, she's one of my, she was never a preacher, but, but a lot of what I experience and what I believe in ministry wise, my grandmother, uh, she shaped that and, and instilled those things in me. But anyhow, I, I love church. But as I got a little older and into my teen years, I'm like, but do I want to be a preacher? Because there's a standard of, of life, right? And, and commitment and things like that. And I wasn't completely sure that I wanted to stick to all of that, right? And, and so, you know, went on. When I was 16 years old, God called me at 13. I wrestled with this thing until I was 16. I had a conversation uh, with... Uh, Phyllis Hilliard, Pastor Phyllis Hilliard, who was the first lady of our church. And I said, you know, I think God has called me to preach. And she told me, just make me one promise. I said, well, what is it? She said, don't make God wait until you've done everything else before you yield to what God is calling you to do. 
I was like, oh, I can do that. Because remember, preaching women are grown women. I won't make God wait, but I have time because I'm not grown yet. I get to college. Fast forward, I get to college. I get to college and there are preachers all around me. They're not, they're not women, but John Faison comes to Virginia State University, signs, sealed, delivered. They call him Rev on campus because he's he's already preaching and doing going home to do revivals and stuff like that. And I'm saying, man, this is this is supposed to be like grown people's work. But all around me are people that are sold out and they're excited. And the call just began to intensify even more where all I could see myself doing was uh, preaching the gospel. Of course, my plans were uh, my first degree is in education. And so my plans were to uh, become a superintendent of schools and and I would uh, preach on the side. Right. So I would preach the gospel, but I was going to be a superintendent of schools. That was my plan. I was on that trajectory. I even have a master's degree in education. Uh, But my freshman year in college, when I had come home for uh, for fall break, I I had a conversation with Dr. Glover and I said, you know, God called me to to preach and I don't want to put it off anymore. I, I think that it's time. Uh, I've been kind of doing this for like five, six years saying, God, don't like God uncall me. Right. Or or wait, because preaching women are grown women. I'm not grown yet. I still have some living to do um, some things that I wanted to try out while I was in college and away from home and things like that. But it just didn't work out that way for me. The call intensified and all I wanted to do was honor God, um, you know, with my life and, and respond to the call of God. And so that day we, when we met, she gave me a book. And uh, told me to read the book, go uh, finish school, make the dean's list, and uh, she would talk to me. And so every time I had come home, uh, that at that day, my process for training for ministry started. And we would meet at the Perkins on Route 22. Anybody that's from Jersey knows Route 22. Route 22 got flooded uh, last last week, but. On Route 22, we meet at the Perkins and talk about my life and talk about ministry and possibility and, and all of that. And, and so my formal training for ministry uh, started then. I graduated and then I was licensed uh, in, in 2003. Of course, um, during this time, I finished school. Uh, I actually had finished, I, I finished my undergraduate degree and I was in grad school. The Lord told me to go back to school. And I always knew, even when God called me at 13, that if I was going to respond to the call to preach, that I was going to be prepared. And that also can be contextual because I don't know a preacher who who was at my home church growing up who did not have seminary training. So senior pastor had a demon. The assistant pastor, the executive pastor had a demon. The assistant pastors had demons. The youth pastor was matriculating at Princeton. Uh, seminary when he was our youth pastor. And so that was what I knew, that that preachers educated themselves. Preachers went to seminary. And so I knew when God called me that at some point I would land right in seminary. And so when I graduated, I was going to go to seminary. There was a seminary because I was in Richmond, Virginia, and there was a seminary that made sense for me to go to. But uh, at that time, you needed a pastor's recommendation. And, and my pastor wasn't trying to recommend me uh, for that particular school. But I knew God said, go back to school. And so I got my master's in education. The end of that, uh, 2005, Christmas Day fell on a Sunday. Now, mind you, I'm teaching. I'm teaching in Richmond Public Schools. When I was getting ready to graduate from college, I didn't know what I was going to do next. I was like probably every other person getting ready to graduate from college. I had no idea what was going to be next. What what did I want to do? I don't know. I could do anything. Uh, but of course, I, I was praying like, Lord, what what is your will um, You know, concerning me and my future? And the Lord told me to stay in Richmond. Now, every year, though, when school let out, my car would be packed and I was driving home to Perth Amboy, New Jersey. School would let out at noon, right? Teacher's bell at noon. And I was on I-95 headed home because I just felt like I, I knew that I was not going to be in Richmond forever. Right. I, I knew that I'm teaching every year. I would go back home in August, but I would cry from my house to the Delaware Bridge. And every year I would say, God, when can I go back home to my family? Right. Every year, that fifth year, the Lord said, you can go home. 
But I don't believe in leaving the job without a job. Now, if, if you believe in leaving a job without a job, I, I make no shade. I make no judgments. But I do not believe for me, for my life, that I should leave a job without having a job. Um, but I got there and I told the principal, I don't think that I will be back. I, won't, I don't think that I'm going to renew my contract, but, but I'm not submitting a resignation yet because I don't quite have a job. Every year. I understood I can teach because I, I can and, and I'm doing pretty good. My students love me. I love them. But this is not necessarily the role that I want to have in their lives. I want to be in ministry. And, and God and I have been having these conversations about full time ministry, that this is what I want to be doing. However, I don't believe in leaving a job without having one. Right. And so I didn't have a job in full time ministry and I wasn't jockeying for a job in either. Christmas Day, 2005, was on a Sunday. That uh, week, Dr. Glover's admin called me, Deacon Brenda Woods. She called me and she says, hey, Minister Brown, when are you coming home for Christmas? Because a uh, pastor wants to talk to you. And I'm like, now, nah, what did I do? Because it's Christmas, it's a Sunday. What does she want to talk to me about on Sunday, right? At Christmas after church. I, didn't, I hadn't done anything. But, you know, your mind just kind of, you know, starts going everywhere. So I got home. We had the conversation. The conversation basically was Bishop and I have been praying about this. And we want you to consider coming on staff full time as the youth pastor. I said, well, I don't have to pray about it. God and I have been talking about it for five years. I just didn't know when and where. And so ultimately, I didn't go looking. It, it found me. Right. Full time ministry found me. And, and in that conversation, I said, but I will, you know, for good measure, I'll pray about it and I'll talk to you, you know, before I head back home. And, and I did pray and it was right. And when I got back to school, back to Richmond, I said, hey, I'm not renewing my contract because I'm going home. Fast forward. It all works out. I get home. I come on staff. Now, I grew up in the church that I was serving. Um, and, and so I had been really their, their church baby but before I went away to college, all of that, right? Their church baby. There were some mistakes that I made coming in because I made assumptions about leadership that I wish, like, you know, in hindsight, as I look back, I'm saying, well, I wish I had known that before I started, but I'm glad I know it now. And, and one of those things is that position doesn't presuppose co cooperation, that, that just because you are in a role does not mean that that people are going to respect you in that role because of the, the title. You earn respect, right? And that relationship precedes adjustment. That you can't come in just changing stuff, even if the people know you. Um, you know, in part, they knew Danny. They they knew Mother Brown's grandbaby, but they didn't know me as an authority, right? As, as the, the person that is responsible for this very large part of, of the church, I, I neglected to earn the trust um, and, and build relationships as a leader with the people um, that, that I was with. And so there were some hard hits in those, in those first couple of years, um, you know, transitioning in. And because I'm a worker is that when I get in, I'm going to work. Right. And, and we're going to make things happen um, just because. Um, and so we, we made some things happen and, and the youth ministry grew exponentially. But there were a couple dead bodies, um, you know, being very honest, there were some dead bodies that if I could go back and do that part over, I would have done those things. Over. Now, the successes, come on, we'll keep them. Right. But but some of those dead bodies. Uh, along the way, those things that that were ultimately casualties, uh, I would I would do over, um, yeah, if I could. But but you can't. So you just say, well, God, you know, thank you for your mercy, thank you for your grace, and for healing that takes place, right, over time. Because it wasn't just dead bodies, but it was also the things that hurt me, right? The the choices that I made, that the backlash, right, in turn, um, wounded me deeply. So we're, we're serving and it wasn't long either that I was the youth pastor, but then I started doing everything else. So, so I was the youth pastor, but then we had to make adjustments because I, maybe within a year I was teaching the main Bible study um, every, every week. 
And, and so I was having to train leaders, right, or volunteers to handle youth ministry because I was being pulled to do some other things. And people would ask the question, you're not even ordained. How come they keep calling you to do X, Y, and Z? You're not, you know, you're not even this and you're not even, if, if I could, I wish I had like $20 for every time somebody told me that, that I was not, right? Like you're not even, but yet here I am, right? And so God would just, it, it just seemed like, at every turn, the the Lord would come find me and, and kind of drop me in roles or or I would show up at the right place at the right time ready. Um, I, I have to backtrack. When I was in college, in grad school, I attended a church. Now, I'm Baptist, uh, multiple generations Baptist, but I attended a church that was birthed in the Mount Sinai Holy Church of America. New Jerusalem International Christian Ministries under the leadership of Apostle Olive C. Brown. And when I was at Jerusalem, I was 20 years old. I was not even licensed yet. And Bishop Brown put me in charge of her elders and ministers. And I was like, ma'am, some of those people have been preaching longer than I have been alive. I'm not even licensed. What are we doing? And she said to me that day, I know you, you don't know what you're doing. She said, but because I know you don't know what you're doing, you know that you don't know what you're doing. I can trust that you will seek God for the answers. And so I'm putting you in this position. And I sought God and we put some things in place during those years. And, and I had opportunity to kind of serve and also to experience uh ministry in some different ways. You know, the, the holiness church is very different than, than, than the Baptist church, even though my Baptist tradition was very charismatic and all of that. Uh, I had some, so God would see about me and, and land me in some places that as I look back over my journey have blown my mind. So here we are. I'm in seminary too. So at the same time I come home, I enroll in New Brunswick Theological Seminary. Uh, Going to seminary, I'm, I'm working through some things, even in seminary, uh, that seminary was a transformative experience for me. Uh, not so much uh, in, in the sense that, and, and I did learn a lot in seminary, but I think in terms of uh, interpersonal relationships, race relations, uh, having language to put around some of the things that I had felt. And when you are, uh, you, you grow up in in you know, in a black church, you're growing up also uh, in a community that is predominantly Hispanic and Latino, right? There, and then you go to an HBCU, uh, not just for undergrad, but grad school, we, that's kind of a cocoon. And then now I'm having to engage with um, white people. I'm having to deal with and, and confront some of the things um, and, and the issues that, that exist. And so seminary for me, was one of those experiences um, that, that was just transformational uh, for me. And also in ministry, I had professors who would say to me, Danielle, there's more to you than, than, than what you are doing right now. I, I had professors, Dr. Dennis, Warren Dennis, Dr. Warren Dennis, who, who would push back on me. I would leave class so mad sometimes at Dr. Dennis because he would say, no, that's just a program. That's not ministry. You, you, you have a lot of people showing up to your youth programs, but that's not ministry. And I would say, it is ministry. Like, what, what do you mean? And he's like, well, no, if no one's life is being transformed, y'all just had a good time. That was a program. That's not ministry. And so he would wear me out every week. So what did y'all do over there today? And so he made me start thinking about what is important, not just numbers. And, and sometimes when you grow up in a, a context, um, in the context of a mega church, numbers do matter. And, and so sometimes the, the measure of success is how many people showed up. Not you, It's easy to slip into that mentality and not think about the measure of success actually being the number of lives that are transformed, right? The number of lives that are changed, the number of people that walk away from you being able to walk with God on their own because they spend some time with you, right? Um, and, and so Dr. Dennis challenged those things. Seminary, it was, it was a good experience for me. But also professors who would not let me settle, right? They're, they're like, you're, you're too comfortable. Like you're, you're too comfortable just doing what you're doing. You won't be a youth pastor forever. Um, and and so, so I did a lot of growing uh, in those years. But also 
in, in those years, right? So I'm still serving in ministry. And then I would all, I think I always preached around, um, even before I had a preaching license, I was like the bootleg preacher of the year. So I would go and preach places. I, I think that's why really they licensed me because Bishop Hilliard was like, <laughs> you can have this girl preaching all over the place and she is not even, you know, licensed or anything. Let's put credentials behind her. And so I kind of always did preach around. And then at some point in, in this New Jersey, in, you know, in, in this area, um, pastors would go on vacation and call me and say, like, well, they trust you with the pulpit over there. And so since I'm going on vacation, um, I, I want to, can you come and preach for me on Sunday? Like, do pulpit supply. And so at that time, before I was able to go out and preach, I would um, have to submit them to Dr. Glover and she would give me permission um, that, you know, yes, you can go, you know, no, you can't, whatever. Um, and I started doing pulpit supply and, and preaching in these different churches because they were, they were pastors were saying, we can trust you with our people. We, we knew that that because of what you are doing in the church that you work at, right, that, that we can trust you here. And so the more I kind of did that, it, it was like you go to one place and then now someone's calling because that pastor called. And so so I started preaching on the road quite a bit, but I'm still doing the work um, at the cathedral. And then we, we went through a season where uh, there was a lot of transition. Um, really a perfect storm. And, and some I, I'll tell just my part of that story because I think that the other parts of that story are not mine to tell, right? There's somebody else's story. And, and so, but, but in that perfect storm, I quickly had to grow up in, in ministry. And so I was used to there being um, training wheels for, for me in ministry in that place, right? Because there were certain people that were around. If, if things went wrong, there, we always had something to fall back on. Um, people were functioning at their strength. And then we just kind of hit this perfect storm where there was illness, there was transition, there was a retirement, there was all of that. And then here I was though. And, and I, I feel like at some point, I was the, the last girl standing, right? The kind of last girl standing in the midst of all of this. Um, and, and because of the experiences leading up to that moment, right? I'm saying maybe 2010, right? 2010. Now, mind you, I went home 2006 to, to be the youth pastor. Um, by 2010, I'm in this perfect storm. But the church was able to lean on me. My pastor was able to lean on me. When he, when he was unwell, um, there were several during that period of time, there there were several, a stretch of several months where I was preaching every Sunday. But before then, let me back up. They had assigned me to a 530 a.m. service when I first got licensed. I forgot to tell you all that before I was on staff full time, I traveled back and forth from Richmond to Perth Amboy twice a month to lead the youth ministry for two years before I came on staff. So I was preaching teen church in three locations and then getting my happy hips back in the car and going back to Richmond and having to teach in the morning. There were some muscles built. Now, we might hear that and say, that's ridiculous. That sounds crazy because I also was not being compensated for that. So we'll hear that now. Right. And say, that sounds crazy. Why would you do that? But there were some muscles that were built in that period of time. There were some lessons that I learned in that time that were absolutely invaluable. And, and here's what I also have learned is that there's some things that people won't do that God will make up the difference. Right. There, there's some stuff that may never even enter into somebody's mind concerning you. But when your heart is for God and when you are doing God will make up the difference. God will make up the difference. And, and so I don't regret one mile that I put on my car coming back and forth those two years. Um, there were some muscles that were built. So by the time this 530 service, sometimes the preacher would oversleep, but I'd be there present and accounted for. And so guess what? I was preaching. Hey, they didn't come. Praise God. Guess what? I just preached this morning. <laughs> Hallelujah. I don't have to ask for preaching engagements. I don't have to be like, coach, put me in. Coach, put me in. I would just show up. And when when the preacher would be late at 530 in the morning, hey, guess what? Guess who's preaching? I am. 
And so what did that lead to? Now, the when when the opportunity came to preach, and, and all services are main service, but to preach a main service, it was a no-brainer. Let's get Danielle. And, and then there was no turning back, basically, from there. During that period of time, though, that stretch, the perfect storm, now we're back at 2010, right? About 2010, 2011. Um, I'm also, I graduate seminary 2010. I go right into my doctoral program, a D-Men program at uh, Palmer, where I was studying uh, church renewal, right? And, and I already had on my heart the work that I wanted to do. Um, and, and that started in seminary. In, in those arguments, those debates with Dr. Warren Dennis. And, and the work I wanted to do was around succession and ongoing renewal, that what happens to churches like mine that were birthed in that charismatic movement, right? Where everything was on and popping in the, in the 90s, right? In, in the 90s. But those leaders started to, to get older. They couldn't run like they used to run or weren't interested in running like they used to run. And, and now the churches are seeing a decline. How do we develop leaders? What needs to be the leadership model? What intergenerational things do we need to implement in order to allow help these churches to continue and, and have on experiencing ongoing renewal and vitality right into the future? And so that's the work that I wanted to do. But then it started happening in real time in my context. And so my training wheels were gone. Um, it, it was, I mean, it, it was wild. And so I'm coming of age as, as some people are, are you know, are, are going in, in different directions and things are happening. It was in that period of time, too, that I experienced some of my greatest pain. So, so there were joys. It was the craziest thing. And when I, in preparation for this, am I talking too much? Uh, no, ma'am. <laughs> in preparation for this, I was thinking back on uh, that time and how some of the greatest moments in ministry and, and in life happened for me in the midst of some of the greatest pain, right? That, that I was living almost like a double life because I was, the, the Lord was opening up doors and I'm preaching here. I'm, I'm having opportunities in these places. But, but then by the same token, I, I was I was experiencing pain, the pain of uh, folks who were OK with me in one season of life. Who, who were not OK when elevation came, when when positions were, were shifting and, and and when there were new uh, ways of being and doing. It wasn't that I had done anything. It was more that culture was shifting. Jesus. And I was a part of that culture shift. And so guess what? The easiest target to identify is the one that's moving. Woo! And so people that, that I thought would always be in my corner, that I thought always would be there, right, to, to, to be training wheels, right, were like, mm -mm. little girl, who do you think you are? Right. Listen, that, kind, that kind of stuff. Um, and, and it was painful. It, it was painful. Um, I got to this place where I started to feel like home wasn't home anymore. Um, and I'll say that because that is my story. Right. That, that home just it wasn't home anymore. It was, things were changing. And part of that is also because I was changing. Right. And sometimes we will do this. We will say that something is wrong with the place that we're in. And it's not necessarily that something is wrong with them. It's that you have changed. And so the way you see it is different, that, that the place is great for what the place is great for, but it's just no longer serving, right? The things that you need. I had this plant someone gave me and, and uh, the plant started to kind of like die. And, and I was talking to my dad like, dad, I keep watering the plant. Why is it dying? He's like, because you need to put it in a different pot, right? That the, the plant is growing. And you can't, it's going to, it only can grow so much in that pot. And if you leave it in that pot, it is going to die. And so I repotted the plant and it's flourishing. It's flourishing. It's not that there was something wrong with the pot. It, it was just that there was something wrong with that combination of the pot and that, that pot and that plant, right? It needed something different. And, and so I started to feel that. But, but at the same time, right, I was fiercely loyal 
to, to the place that I'm in because that's me. I'm, I'm going to be fiercely loyal. But, but there also comes a point where loyalty can become toxic to you, especially when your loyalty pulls you, um, causes you to stay in spaces that God is saying, this is not, I've already gone like into another season and you, you over here still trying to be in that pot and trying to be the same. And I'm calling you to be something different. So that was on me, right? That, that was on me. Um, during that time, I have a friend, uh, Dr. Kenneth Clayton. Kenneth Dow Ray Clayton is my friend. And, and Clayton was like, something is wrong with you. Like you but, but he never told me. He told me after, a couple years later, that, that he had observed and just felt like she needs a mentor, but she needs a mentor, somebody that is outside of context. But he also knew that if he told me outright, I would have rejected it, right? Because I was in a season of no new friends, right? I didn't want anybody to hurt me. I did not want to be, uh, I, I just didn't want it, right? I didn't, I didn't want to go through, because I told you I'm in a season of, of some of the greatest moments, but also a season of, of some of the greatest pain. And that pain was related to people walking away, people that, that I looked to. Right. Uh, people that I loved, people I thought would the people that told me that little girl, if you do what God says, do if you give your life to the Lord, he'll do great things. We're like, whatever, you know, and walked away. And so here's what he did. And I, hope, I know that she's on here, but and I, I don't think that she'll care that I tell this story. But my friend Clayton, um, Dr. Cynthia Hale, who when I was 14 years old, Dr. Hale came to preach at the cathedral. She floated in. And back at that time, this was my first um, interaction with her that I remember. Um, she she was preaching on these sheets of paper and something happened with the printer and she just kind of floated in and then she needed somebody to cut and organize the paper. And so she handed it to me and, and I organized her papers and that was it. She didn't talk to me that day other than like help the, the papers. And I remember telling Bishop Hilliard, she is so kind. And if I ever, right, because preaching women are grown women. But I was like, if I ever, if God ever lets me preach, I want to be nice like her, right? I want to be kind like she is. And that left an impression um, on my life that, that has lasted to this day. So my friend Clayton, Clayton, um, Dr. Hale was coming to preach at Clayton's church. And Clayton calls me and says, hey, I need you to come be the worship leader. I need you to be the worship leader. Um, he does not tell me who's preaching. He, I just know that, hey, Clayton's having a revival. He wants me to come be the worship leader. And so because he's my friend and I'm like, hey, you know, he doesn't ask too much. So the least I can do is come out here and be the worship leader. I go and I am leading worship. Doctor, I find out when I get there, he texts me and says, oh, Dr. Hale will be coming in at such such a time. I'm like, wait, Dr. Hale is preaching tonight. And now I want I want y'all to be clear. I'm in a bad space. Right. I'm, I'm funky. I don't even know. I don't have the words really to even describe what my attitude was like in that period of time. I was functional because I knew how to do ministry. But in terms of having to go and interact with somebody that I knew had the Holy Ghost and all of that, it was like, oh, Lord, like if he had told me this, I probably would have stayed home. So Dr. Hell preaches that night. I lead worship after service. We're in Clayton's office and she just starts to pour out. And she had preached and everything, but, but everything that she said, it was as if she had read my diary. And I knew that Clayton didn't tell her that stuff because he didn't talk to her about it. He just knew that if I could get them together, right? If I can get them together, I know that this is what she needs. And so my healing journey started that night because God sent the right mentor. God sent a person. And sometimes here, here's the, the, the thing that I think happens for us is that sometimes we think that our only help comes from what we are familiar with. Right. That, that we can the, the only the stuff that, that is in within a certain proximity of us is 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 good for us. That, that we get stuck um, and, and miss out on opportunities to grow and to learn and to be stretched. Right. Uh, to receive because we're so closed into one experience and one way of being that only these people, right? Or the, the other thing. So there's that. But then there also is that sometimes we get so crippled by pain, that, that we get so crippled by pain and bad experiences that, that we 
cause our future to be crippled, right? Or derailed or, or delayed uh, because we're, we're so stuck with pain and trying to brace ourselves from not experiencing those same things that we miss out on, on the things that God is trying to get to us. And, and so sometimes like, I know that you are hurt, but this person is not those people. And, and then there also is the other part that people tell us stories, right? That one of the stories, oh, black women don't support each other. Women in ministry, they don't, they not. No, that, that's a lie. And there comes a point when we have to uh, just eradicate that kind of thinking and that mentality, because I can call a gang of older women in ministry, peers in ministry, the four of you who want nothing but for sisters to win, right? There, the, the number of women who, who are not supportive of other women in ministry is small in comparison to all of us who want the sisterhood to win and who will. Now, here's the other part though. Even, and then with mentoring, right? So we'll say, well, well older women don't want to mentor. But sometimes are you ready to be mentored? Right. One of the things for me is is that I'm not I'm not like a needy kind of mentee. Right. I understand when you're not available. Right. I get it when you don't have time and understanding. I understood what I needed a mentor for. Right. That, that at that point, I, I don't need. And, and at this point. Right. Dr. Hale, the blessing of her being in my life has been that I have grown, right? It's not about open doors for me, put me on with your friends, you know, open this door, be available 24 seven. No, it's none of that. It is, I'm watching your sermons on Sunday on YouTube and probably more, most of the growth comes from me sitting down and listening to a sermon, listening to Bible study, right? Those kind of things. And then are you ready for the hard conversations? Right. If you if we want to be mentored, here's what I had to learn is that you have to open yourself up to the hard conversations. Right. When you're wrong, can they tell you that you are wrong and still be your mentor at the end of the day? But some of us, as soon as somebody tells us something that we don't like, something that we don't want to hear, um, then it's like, oh, well, you know, they, they weren't a good mentor. Or they weren't for me or whatever. So so there there was that. But my healing started that day. Because I had a friend who saw that something was not right with me, a friend who saw that I was struggling and a friend who also felt like, hey, let me pray for her and and see what God says. And a friend who was bold enough to say, let me just put get them in the same space. And so here we are. Um, And and that that experience has been a blessing to me. Uh, Bishop Vaughn said mentors are not impressed. That's right. We all need a mentor who is not impressed with us who is not impressed with where we've been, where we're going, with our credentials, any of that, right? And who can just have real conversations and who we can be real with. Um, But I I have been surrounded by women, older women in ministry, Bishop Vaughn and and others who just have been, and and you can see the look in their eyes that that when a younger woman in ministry is, is doing this and doing this work well, they are excited. You can. It, it matters to them. Uh, Dr. Flake and uh, Auntie Rev, Dr. Stewart, she's not Auntie Rev to all of us for nothing, right? There, there's a reason. And so I say all that to say that that is important for us, that as we, well, and, and I'll say this, that for, right, we're talking about walking in my own shoes, right? I, I think in, in my journey, and, and I was thinking about this um, in preparation for today, is that maybe we play in other folks' shoes until we can build the strength, right, to, to walk in our own, or until we, we can build up the, thing, the, the assets so that we can buy our own shoes, right? And, and then uh, until we get to the place where our ankles are strong enough and our, our, our calves are strong enough, right, to walk in our own shoes. And so we all need somebody. They're they're all for all of us have been some models. I mentioned my grandmother. My grandmother was my first example of what pastoral ministry should look like. And she wasn't a pastor, right? She just loved people. She was a good Christian, probably in a different season, a different time. Had she been born, she'd be doing what I'm doing. 
but but she didn't, right? And so I walked in her shoes until I came to the point where I could believe God for myself and know God for myself. Dr. Bernadette Glover, I watched her pastor. She pastored me. She trained me in ministry. I walked in her shoes until I, I had to walk in my own. Uh, Dr. Hale is a whole other. Uh, I, I think I still kind of play in her shoes, right? Because she she's just huge. And, and her experience, it was that relationship that made me think that being a senior pastor was a possibility. Are y'all with me? Because sometimes you need someone who's not in your pot who can see you beyond that pot and say to you, look, now you sound crazy when you're settling for X, Y, and Z and somebody who can say to you, who told you that you can't have it all? Who told you that this is it for you? Right, right. Who told you? Because if God, now God told you, that's one thing. But if God didn't tell you that, why? Right. We we spend so much time waiting for permission from somebody else. Wait, 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 wait. To to be or to pursue the things that that God has for us. And and why? Right. Why? There there are all of these structures and systems, y'all, that say that, that, no, this is the process. And, and maybe the process is not always the same because sometimes those processes presuppose that God only operates one way. Are, are y'all with me? That, that God only operates one way. And maybe the path for me is not what the path will be for you, right? right? That, that maybe the way that God opens the door is not going to be the way that God opens the door for, for someone else. So, so we do all that, right? But we're waiting for permission to pursue God's will. And in that time of healing and, and growing up and seminary, there was some shaping and some, some fine tuning where I was able to differentiate my voice from, from the voice of my context, right? The voice that, that was, and I'm not saying there's something wrong with those things, right? Because when you're from somewhere, uh, someone, uh, Dana, put, put in the comments that I look like my grandmother's twin because, right, we're, we're from the same stuff. And so there should be some resemblance. There's nothing wrong with that. But I also know that my grandmother was was not okay with wearing toes out in the pulpit, right? I know that I am. And so we're different. We're different times. We're different places. There's some differences. There's some things that will be different for as much as there are some things that are the same. And so the context had a voice. That, that was great, powerful, but seminary started to fine tune some of the things that were distinctly mine, right? Seminary, and then uh, the perfect storm, born out of that perfect storm, born out of the pain and having to go to God and say, none of this makes sense, right? That none of this makes sense, that here, here's how I'm functioning, here's how I'm saying, and when you told me to go into ministry, I did not foresee this, God, and so where do we go from here? Right. In that, there was some fine tuning, some things, um, some opportunities. Even I was appointed to the board of trustees at New Brunswick Seminary. I, I just finished my second term. I had to rotate off because that's the rule. You serve to rotate off and then they invite you back again if they want you. But I was invited to be on the board. Of, what did I know about being on the board of trustees? I basically just graduated. Right. And so I'm sitting around tables and there were things that I was learning. Because maybe maybe it's not true that, that we have to show up ready. Maybe uh, we, we show up and, and God prepares us while we are committed to learning the things that we need to learn, while we open our hearts and our spirits and our, our minds and, and intellect to um, learning from the other people that, that are in those spaces, right? That, that Maybe that's how God works sometimes. And I know for me, that's how God worked. I showed up at the board of trustees meeting and now I'm sitting around the table and we're discussing multi-million dollar budgets and, you know, uh, endowments and this, that, and, and the other. And, and, you know, the first couple meetings I'm playing along, like I understand, but in between time, right. I'm doing the research. I'm learning, like learning the language and learning this and, and, you know, strategic planning and things like that. But there was nothing that I didn't take back to my ministry context. And so there's also sometimes we think because things are not necessarily happening in the church context, right, that they're not valuable for the church context. 
And, and that that is absolutely not true. Take note of everything that God allows you to experience because all of it will work together for the good of those who, who love the Lord. If you love them, say amen. But so anyway, now we fast forward. We're in the perfect storm. Um, my healing started that day that I ended up um, in, in Reverend Clayton's office with Dr. Hale. Um, there were opportunities that have been afforded to me uh, in, in that time that have absolutely blown my mind. Um, you don't have to, I'm telling you, you and, and I'm, I'm almost done, but you don't have to go looking for opportunities. Opportunities will find you. Um, I, I was, had an opportunity to preach at the Greater Allen Cathedral because I was up doing something at my church and Reverend Elaine uh, heard me and, and said, you know, I guess that she wanted to invite me there. So she invited me there, which then created a situation where she recommended me or, or you know, had the conversation. Next thing I knew, I'm being invited to preach the Women in Ministry Conference. Um, I preached the Women in Ministry Conference. The, the Women in Ministry Conference then led to other opportunities the, the people that were there. Um, I, I remember Dr. Hale leaning over to me right before I got ready to preach. And she's like, you know, are you okay? Do you need anything? And I'm like, uh, I'm about to faint. And she's like, we're just, we're nothing but a bunch of girlfriends. And I'm like, well, um, y'all, y'all aren't my friends. Like you, you're none of my friends. So, um, I don't know. Did I just go out? So, right. You're not my little friends, <laughs> but just how, and, and then the ways that in that experience, right. The women in ministry supported, cheered me on. My, you know, just it, it was an incredible experience. But even there, I was connected with friends that will be a part of my life forever. That that when I, I went to WIM, not just the year I preached, but but when I went the first time, right? I connected with other women in ministry who have been valuable um, assets to my life um, and, and my journey in ministry. So now. We, we get to this point, uh, we fast forward, I'm serving in ministry. Uh, I get a phone call, a phone call from a friend of mine who says, hey, there's a church that's open in your area uh, and, and your name, they use a certain search firm and your name keeps coming up. And so when the guy contacted me and I also said, hey, she's right around the corner, like I recommended you. They said, can you get us in touch with her right away? Um, they got in touch with me. We got the ball rolling. Um, and I was in that process. It was, it was pretty lengthy. But, but I had gotten down to the final two candidates in that process. And I didn't get it. And I was saying, oh, well, it just must not have been for me. Um, but that's it. I'm not, that's too emotional. That's too much, too long. I don't want to go through another long drawn out process. I don't want to be disappointed. I don't want to waste time again. I'm just going to focus on the work that I'm doing because now we're in a pandemic. I'm, I'm responsible for all of the day-to-day -day pretty much of this church as the pastor of church life. We have to get the cathedral back in, um, you know, and, and through the pandemic, right? Then of course, all that came along with the pandemic, the number of funerals that I have done, the number of, of just tragedies that, that have been experienced because of pastoring in a pandemic and trying to support uh, being in that interesting space as the number two or, or in a support role where you're also holding up the arms of the senior person, but then you also have this body of work that is also your own, that, that you're having to tend to. So you're kind of doing both. And then I said, so I don't really need to be bothered or concerned about uh, you know, a church. And then somewhere around February, the end of February, I get another call. Now, several months, almost a year, I guess, uh, 10 months or so has gone by. And uh, it's the same search firm. And they say, you know, Danielle, there, there's another opportunity in your area. And, and we think that this will be a great fit. And I'm like, yeah, I'll pray about it, right? Because, of course, I told you, I, I didn't want to do all that again. And I prayed about it. And, and I, I, you know, talked to my family about it. 
you know, and, and went before the Lord. And the last time that I prayed about it, the Lord said, what are you afraid of? And, and I said, Lord, I, I'm afraid of rejection. I don't, I don't want to be rejected again. I don't want to waste my time. Right. I don't want to waste my time. I don't have another 18 months of, of time just to waste. And the Lord said, was any experience wasted if I'm in it with you? The next day I called the people and I said, what do you need? Just go ahead. You know, we'll do it. From that conversation uh, to May. Uh, Shiloh. Right. It was Shiloh. And, and so I met the day that I met with the search committee and Sister Marla is on here. If she's still here, Marla was was on that search committee. The first day I felt like I was meeting with people I had known all my life. They did not feel like strangers. And I was I took note of it that, wait a minute, you know, there, there's something to this. Right. Fast forward, we, we have our meetings and every time I'm saying, Lord, I, I feel you in this. Right. I, I feel you in this. I, I can see I can see the connection. I can now. Now, Shiloh wasn't even a church that was on my because I told you all there wasn't a church on my radar. I would say I don't need this. Right. But but as I listened to God and, and walked with God and went in the direction that God uh, said to go, that I felt that God was leading, it, it just became more clear. And, and and I felt like this. This is home. We fast forward by May, I knew that I was the final candidate. When I went to preach my candidacy sermon uh, in August, when I walked into the pulpit, I said, this is home. Lord, how did you, Shiloh is 15 miles from my house. How did you, how did you work all of this out? Now here's the, here's the other part of that story is that Shiloh opened five years prior five or six years prior when uh, Dr. Gerald Lamont Thomas retired and I was going to apply. I remember, I'm telling y'all this story because you asked me to come on and be transparent. I was in the shower. Absolutely, absolutely. I was in the shower preparing to go to the office. And when I got to the office, I was going to apply to Shiloh. I was envisioning myself announcing to my current church that I was leaving to go and be the senior pastor at the Shiloh Baptist Church in Plainfield. But the thought of leaving at that point drove me to tears. I wasn't ready. But from the shower to the office, I convinced myself not to apply. They won't take you seriously. They're, they're, they might not be ready for a woman. Are you ready? And truth, truth be told, I probably wasn't ready in 2015. Right. I, I, I'll, I'll give myself that. I probably wasn't right. There was a lot more growing I needed to do. There was some mentoring I needed to experience, some hard conversations. There were some folks who needed to pour into me whose lives I needed to see on the other side of ministry. There's a whole lot. I'm different today than I was then. Right. Yeah. But do you all see how God can work? So you don't know what God is doing, but God knows what God is doing. Yes. Here we are full circle. October 3rd will be my first Sunday as the senior pastor of what? Shiloh Baptist Church in Plainfield, New Jersey. I stood in that pulpit and I said, this is home. And God, you worked all of this out. And, and I'll tell you, Shiloh is vastly different than uh, my current context. Uh, polity, different. Vastly different. Different flow, different, different everything. But, but it's a good fit for me. You know why? Because over the years, while I was playing in other folks' shoes, <laughs> God was also giving me my own and, and showing me how to handle mine, right? The height that I can walk in with, with you know, when, when do I need to switch them out to be based on the pace and the tempo and all of that? I was learning some things about my own shoes. And through every experience, now, there's still a lot to learn. Understand that I, I think that we're at this place. And, and granted, I am so grateful that, that the search committee at Shiloh had the courage to choose a woman and say, hey, we're going to make history because we have been praying. The crazy thing is, y'all, that while I was praying my prayers, 
we, we had a culminating uh, brunch with the search committee and, and myself, and they started to share the things that were happening in their journey that I was not aware of. And it was like, oh my goodness, God was working out every single detail. I didn't know that they were experiencing the things that they were experiencing, but if I had never been, if I had not been rejected from that other church, I would not have been in that search firms on their radar, right? If, if they hadn't called me, I wasn't gonna call them, right? And, and so God worked out every detail, every single detail. And so there's so much more to learn there. I think with any new pastor and new experience that you don't know what you don't know until you happen upon what you don't know. <laughs> um, but, but I'm looking forward to it. And so, so far that, that has been uh, my journey is 508 and I, I don't want to hold y'all over, you know, but yeah, don't, don't, don't underestimate uh, the experiences that you have. Um, also understand that that as you learn to walk in your own shoes or become comfortable, right, in your own shoes, that every experience is that every experience that you have had, good, bad, indifferent, whatever, um, will work out in some way. Will contribute. They're, they're never wasted, right? They're never wasted experiences. That that God can can redeem any and everything. Um, for for our good, right? My and God. that has been uh, my journey. That that's been where where I've been. And then don't let don't stay stuck in in pain. Don't don't let pain stop you from moving forward. Yes, deal with <laughs> deal with it, right? I'm not saying move forward broken and, and busted up, right. but but do the work of healing. But don't let pain be the thing that keeps you from walking into the richness that God has uh, for your life, either pain or raggedy people. Wow. <laughs> Ooh, Dr. Brown. Yes. My God. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, I just wanted to say, uh, wow, um, this this has been absolutely tremendous. Rich. Um, what it is that, that you have shared. I believe Amen. Dr. Bradford, there's some information you want to make sure that she shares with our audience. Yes, um, you are on the advisory board, Dr. Brown, for Women in Ministry under yes. the leadership of um, Dr. Cynthia Hale. I want you to, I want to give you the opportunity to share with our viewers um, the dates and what it actually is. Yes, so we have gone uh, virtual, obviously because of the pandemic, and so we are having our virtual gathering. Uh, Monday and Tuesday, September 13th and 14th. The theme is aligning with the heartbeat of God, uh, sacred rhythms, aligning with the heartbeat of God. Um, and that will be Monday and Tuesday, the 13th and 14th from seven to nine. It is absolutely free, but we do need you to register. And so if you can, uh, if you have not registered yet, uh, please register at CynthiaLHale.org um, and it'll pop right up. Uh, CynthiaLHale.org. Um, Say it one more time. Uh, Cynthia, one more time. CynthiaLHale.org. Um, you can register there. Uh, Wim has been transformational in my life and in that, that healing journey, right? Um, having a collegium of sisters who, who can get together and you are having common experiences. Um, Sharika Newton, Dr. Sharika Newton says, uh, now we both played basketball as kids. And so this may kind of go over some people's head, maybe not, but we played uh, AAU as kids. And, and so she says that whim is like AAU, is that when you go to AAU tournaments, there's the, the best and the brightest uh, ball players from around the country are all in one place, right? And that's what whim feels like. It's the best and the brightest uh, preachers, women in ministry are all together in one place. When we are in person, we meet in Atlanta and everyone is friends. It's iron sharpening iron. There's no like big, big me, little you. No, we're, we're just all kind of there. And it's a sisterhood um, in a place of encouragement. When you leave WIM, you have a little more pep in your step. When, when you leave WIM, you feel better. You feel like you can face tomorrow. And so the virtual experience is going to be no less amazing. And so we hope that you will all join us uh, for, for our virtual WIM uh, next Monday and Tuesday. 
Wow. Amen. Wow. Well, viewers, if you will um, thank Dr. Brown again for being with us, um, just put it in the chat. She'll be able to see um, you all's thanks um, for um, for being with us on today. Um, we pray God's blessings upon you as you prepare this new journey. We ask that you just hang around for us backstage. Just one moment. Don't leave us just yet um, as we um, close out again. Thank you so very much. Uh, and I am very pleased uh, to announce that on next week, yes. um, our guest uh, will be one of our millennials. Uh, we <laughs> will have the Reverend Dr. Shazetta Thompson Hill. Very own. Um, will be with us on next week. Uh, she is now um, not only chaplain, resident chaplain at Georgetown, but is also the dean of the Doctorate of Ministry program at Colgate Rochester. Uh, university. And so she will be our guest on uh, next week. Um, brilliant. Um, young and brilliant um, yes. on next week. And so um, we thank you all for being with us. Thank you, Dr. Brown. And God says the same. We'll see you next week. Same time. Uh, timely wisdom. God bless. <laughs>